0: Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of WITS University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast aims to explore, debate, and understand a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students. We look at issues in South Africa, Africa, and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject and we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Mahita Ikani and I am your host. My name's Chido, I am a third year become student at WITS. My opinion on the Fees Must fall issue is that it's important but occasionally it does become unbelievably disruptive to certain things that really shouldn't have been disruptive, like registration, trying to stop people from registering. I thought that was just so insensitive to the people who want to come register, the ones who are coming to pay, and then you go try to stop them, and you're sitting there going, why are you trying to stop people who want to learn? I understand your cause is a good cause for people who can't afford it. However, telling other kids that they're not allowed to have their education until everyone else can afford an education is a bit unfair. It's, It's gone a bit off-track from what it was originally supposed to be. It's hard to argue with the principle that every academically deserving young person should have an opportunity to study at university. There's no doubt that South Africa, in fact every country in the global south, needs more doctors and teachers, entrepreneurs and critical citizens, and arguably only universities can produce these. The future of our country, and economy, depends on broadening education. From this perspective, the demand for fee-free education seems sensible, not silly. Yet many argue that it's simply not possible, that there is not enough money in the public purse to afford this. We've heard politicians and university managers claim that free education is an unrealistic pipe dream, and we will speak with some of these people in future shows. But before we did that, we wanted to interrogate the claim that free education is not possible, So we spoke to an alternative economist. Our guest for today's show is Dr. Dick Forslund, who has some ideas about how South Africa could, in fact, afford free education for all. Welcome to our guest today, Dr. Dick Forslund. He is a senior economist at the Alternative Information and Development Center in Cape Town. We're very pleased to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us, Dick.
1: Yeah, and thank you for having me.
0: We're very excited uh, to talk to you today because you've published a few very interesting pieces in the last few months, making the argument that free education is possible in South Africa. So perhaps you could, just to, to get us started and to get us into the, the same mind space as you, you could introduce us to some of the main arguments that you would want people out there to know about.
1: Yeah. First, I would like to say, uh, I think it's the difference between saying free education is possible and to say free education is possible in South Africa because you have to change the mindset and the whole culture of the... And, and, the, and you have to overcome the deep divisions uh, there are party divisions in the South African society. If you have free education, then it builds on some kind of acceptance and uh, and the feeling that you are one nation, I would say. And if you don't have this feeling, and if you have a general notion, which it seems to be so common in in uh, in the public debate about education or anything that you are paying for others but you should only pay for yourself and your family etc then of course it becomes very difficult but i mean technically and to do it to have free education as merely a technical matter and how to do it well that that i think that is not any rocket science So well, it's kind of like it's two different things is free education possible yes of course but I mean, it's it, it fee-free education, so to speak. But then there's another question, is free education possible in South Africa today? Many of those things about what is possible or not, they can be imposed uh, on power. So it just becomes a necessity. And uh, that is, in my understanding, the, the situation now for outsourcing at WITS and other universities. So the the workers, uh, or perhaps even the alliance between student and workers on that issue of insourcing, outsourced workers who was outsourced 15 years ago, it imposes itself on the administration and the management of the university and on the government as an objective necessity almost. It's like it's just like it starts to rain and then you have to unfold your umbrellas it comes to a situation where it's not any longer possible to run the university with outsourced workers because people can't simply any longer accept it. People, Workers are fed up. And then you have to do something. And now you have, in as for what I know, you have a promise now at WITS that on the 1st of July, there should be insourcing of previously outsourced workers and the wage will increase from 2,500 to five thousand rand per month, and uh, different kind of of benefits will also be included, and it has just imposed itself on the manage, on the management of universities in a similar way, perhaps as the credit ratings institutes imposes themselves on Pravin Gordon. They make themselves into an objective factor, and you just have to, if you are not want want to try to really challenge their power then you just have to consider it as a natural phenomena or something objective.
0: Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you're saying that the, the history of South Africa is something, the history of exclusion and inequality is something that needs to be taken into account in terms of how we think about the question of, of fees. And on the other hand, you're saying that it's, it's possible. It's just a question of political pressure and from the bottom and political will from the top.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, and this political will is not only something that comes through, uh, the battle of ideas. It's also something that comes from a battle of, of, uh, for morality or for what is fair and ethics, of course. But sometimes you all, you, you almost have to, have to have things, uh, business as usual at university just has to stop. And that is what I saw on television, at least. I didn't go to any meetings in, 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 in Johannesburg because I'm located south of Durban. But that is what, in my understanding, what has happened during the last month. Things just stopped and you couldn't run the universities any longer. So it's a, it's a combination perhaps of uh, forcing your will as a majority and also persuasion and a battle of ideas.
0: So I think what the the student movement managed to achieve was putting the question of education and whether or not it should be paid for by students onto the public agenda. So from your perspective, based on the, the research that you do, do you believe that it is morally preferable for university education to be free?
1: Yeah, I think so. And uh As you know, there there are countries uh, where you have free university education for all. In my other home country, Sweden, this has been a fact for the last 50 years at least. And the same goes for Finland, Denmark, I believe Germany, some other places. In fact, in Sweden, it was also free for foreign students. uh, The tuition and uh, to participate in study courses and so on was free for even for, for students for Africa, Asia, or whatever. Uh, that was abolished now, uh, kind of four or five years ago. But it's a long tradition. And basically what you do is that you tax people in society and you tax people according to their ability to pay. And you have a, quite a high tax pressure on, on, uh, on the private incomes and they are what is called progressive, meaning that the more you have an income, the larger share of that income you can pay in, in, in taxes. And then uh, everybody is contributing their share to a, to a common, uh, fund, so to speak. And this then pays for free education for all. Uh, and for the working class children, of course, this is, uh, and for their families. They also pay taxes in, in in countries where you have free education. Also, you pay income taxes quite low, the, the, quite uh, far uh, down in the income hierarchy, you can say. But for this, you get different kind of public services, a so-called social wage, which uh, make it worthwhile. If you have people in the middle income earners or, or people in the so-called middle class or or you know, people with higher education, clerks, perhaps academics, <laughs> to speak about that, they also have free education for their children and they're prepared to do it because if they would, ha- would have to pay for, for uh, this privately instead, then it would be more than what they would pay in taxes. So those who complain about this system, and always will complain, (laughs) that is perhaps 5-10% of the population. But you know, when you put such a system in place, and you have it for 25, 30, 35, 40 years, it becomes ingrained in the culture of society, and it becomes a a part of the air that you are breathing, and you don't think so much about it. As for the labor movement in, in Sweden and the Scandinavian countries or country like France or Germany, it was important to, how can you say, you shouldn't, one, you shouldn't stigmatize working class uh, youngsters that they were kind of given a grant or bursaries so or that they had to uh, mm. beg to study. You shouldn't, the, the utopian idea, you can say, was that that when you come to the university, then all students should be equal, and you shouldn't think about who are coming from a rich family and who are coming from the a poor family. It's the the will to study and the academic merits and uh, the cleverness and the industriousness of the of the student which should be in the forefront, and not how much you can pay for different things. Secondly, also, I mean, this is this is goes under the name of. Universa- universality sort of that that uh, what you do when you have such a system in place that you take it in through the personal income tax and through corporate taxation is that you you don't have to put in place bureaucracy of let's say 225 people or 327 people, I don't know how large administration you need in South Africa uh, really in order to sit and control uh, who are, uh, who have the right to get the support from the National Student Fund, who have the right to have the sort of lower fees, et cetera, et cetera. You have to have a system in place to see that people are not cheating, et cetera, et cetera. And it becomes quite expensive. And uh, the idea is that this is an unnecessary expense. You have uh, one system and you take in the taxes and people pay after the ability to pay and then... You people are not paying fees. I mean, there's the same go for the child care grant in South Africa. You have a child care grant, uh, which you have to apply for, and it's dependent on uh, how much you earn, or you have your, you don't have any income, then you get the child care grant. But uh, in, in uh, some of the so-called welfare states, the, the child care grant is universal. So in Sweden, even the king, Get the childcare care ground for the princes and the princes <laughs> but but then, of course, they rich people in in such countries they pay high taxes so that's 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 how it that's how it's done that's the, the basic idea
0: so the bottom line to your argument is that free higher education would be possible through some kind of reform of the tax system here in South Africa. so I'll come back to a couple of the other points that you've raised, but for now, could you kind of spell out for us? How do you think the tax system could be reformed in such a way as to put enough money into the public purse to ensure that every academically deserving student gets a place at a university?
1: I think think that what what the government or a progressive government should do, it should start to gradually roll back the tax cuts that has been made for the middle class and the rich uh, for the last 15 years. And I don't know if you read an article I wrote about this in Daily Maverick. Mm-hmm. And there's a myth uh, going around in, in the business press or in thought leaders that the tax pressure is getting harder and harder if you are earning 200,000, 400,000, 800,000 rand per year or 1.5 million rand per year. But the, quite the opposite is the case. And the, what, what the government has done uh, starting since 2000 is that the tax pressure... On those 4.5, 4.5, 5 million people who are in the personal income tax uh, system, it has decreased under the label of compensating uh, taxpayers for so-called bracket creep to 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 see too that that the tax tax pressure is not becoming higher and higher through. Well, it's hard to explain in radio, but. Uh, if you have a higher tax rate over a certain income, then a government who is a little clever can uh, increase the tax pressure by just letting the tax bracket be as they are. And then inflation will take care of the rest, so to speak. Or what the South African government has been doing is that they have, they have increased the tax. They have lifted the tax bracket at the rate of inflation, but then in addition to that, they have uh, lifted the tax bracket much more. So one example is in 2005, where the highest tax bracket over which you at that time paid an income tax on 40% on everything that is above that tax bracket, the inflation at that time was 4% per year, the price increases, but the tax bracket was lifted by 33%. Uh, from 300,000 to 400,000 rand per year in, in income. And uh, the consequence of this is that the government loses billion rands in personal income tax and that people who are, are uh, belong to the 5-10% of those with the highest income in South Africa, they, they get more for personal, uh, personal uh, consumption. And the universities, on the other hand, uh, where the inflation rate, which had hit the universities, has been eight, nine, ten percent every year. When it comes to textbooks, uh, uh, equipment of different things, and so on, they have responded to to this policy, where the government, in my view, unnecessarily lowered the tax pressure on the rich. They have responded by increasing fees, and finally, it came to a breaking point in October last year. And I, I might be completely wrong here, so so I stand on the correction, but I think that the breaking point came when even people with parents who perhaps earn 150,000 rand per year, 200,000 rand per year, 300,000, you know, like, which is usually called that they are a little better off, they are part of the middle class, even these families Started to be fed up, and that they couldn't any longer pay for the student, for the fees for their, for their, uh, for their youngsters. And then, when it comes to a breaking point, and I think we must use this breaking point now to completely question the tax policy that that uh, the government has been pursuing, which, which, uh, well, it builds on some kind of idea that is much better to let rich people increase their private consumption. And then, in in some way, this will trickle down to the majority. Uh, I think we have to leave that paradigm, and we must tax people after their ability to pay. And uh, I mean, a majority when they would see the the advantages of this, this when it comes to to uh, cheap and good public health care, and when it comes to fee free higher education, people would support such a system. But then, of course, you have to. You have to prove it, and you have to... If you, you could reverse the whole situation now by, by doing the opposite to what the government was doing, I think that one thing that the government could do would to freeze the tax bracket as they are and let inflation take care of slowly, slowly increasing the tax pressure on the middle class and the rich. And within a period of, of three years... Uh, the government would have about 35 billion rand more to play with and basically that is the uh, the the cost of a uh, today of free higher education in the country and the middle class they would like it because they would not pay any fees more of the for their children and the 5% top income earners they would complain but yeah they are in a minority and they can afford it <laughs>
0: So according to what I understand of, of your model and how you've, you've done the calculations, by freezing the tax brackets, what it would mean is that gradually over the next few years, the middle classes and the rich would pay slightly more tax that wouldn't be terribly onerous or noticeable for them. And that that would add up to a, a huge amount of extra funding within the public pocket that could be spent on education.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, basically, when when the when the government do this adjustments of for in, of inflation of tax bracket, you can you can study this in the yearly budget review from the treasury. You will see that the, then that the, in a uh, person with a uh, income over one million rand, this person is given back by the government three four thousand rand per year. But I mean, it's it for such a person, such a sum is. It's negligible. It's, it's what, what he or she is paying at the restaurant, uh, for, uh, for an evening for, 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 for the friends and family. It's, it's, uh, but that is, when you, when you give such amount back, uh, to tens of thousands of people, then you come up on some, you lose, you, you are forfeiting amounts of eight, nine, 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 ten billion rand per year just by giving it, giving it away completely unnecessary because And that is also a thing which I think is very, which I find very irritating. And that is that there was, of course, there's always uh, the issue of corruption. But I mean, there has not been any tax rebellion in South Africa for the last 15 years. People have sort of been, people have been paying their taxes and they basically, they wouldn't have noticed it. (laughs) And I can say, I can say this of letting the, letting the tax bracket be as they are. There are many governments in the world who never speak about that in the budget speech once a year. They just let it be, and nobody notices what what, what what is happening. And then they adjust the tax bracket, perhaps once every two, three years. But, but the South African government has in some way taken this really to its mindset. And then they have exaggerated this policy, and in that way they they have imposed this student rebellion and the workers' rebellion upon themselves. That's that's basically my interpretation of the situation. But I mean, this is not this is only one measure you can take. The other thing, which you, I'm I'm sure you are aware of, this is the issue of the massive illicit financial outflows from the country and the the. The business models of many of the corporation which is ba- based on, on tax evasion, and there are many reports about this now, how, how, what, what we are speaking about here. So you have the investigation from, from this uh, renowned institute, Global Financial Integrity, speaks about in 2012, illegal or illicit capital outflows from the country amounted to about 29 billion US dollars which at that exchange rate at that time was about 300 billion rand which just illegally leaves the, leaves the country and of course in such situation it becomes ridiculous that you when, when you say that you can't pay for free higher high education it's just it's just laughable I in my understanding also tax evasion and tax dodging and transfer pricing and all the practices that have been in place, especially in the mining industry, for the last 40, 50, 60 years, it's a difference between saying that free education is possible and to say that free education is possible in South Africa today. To make free education possible in South Africa today, we have to fight for it. We have to fight for it. Uh, and i believe that is what aidc is doing also we are fighting for it and that is what the students has been doing and their families has been doing and the workers have been doing and there have been some results i can see it at wits
0: so so you're making the argument that with some reform to the organization of tax brackets as well as much better governance in terms of tax collection especially from the big corporate taxpayers there would easily be enough capital and money to pay for free education. I wanted to also ask if you could comment on, we've spoken a little bit about how through slightly increasing taxation on the the middle classes, there could be a contribution to funding for fees. But could you say something also about how you argue that the super rich should be taxed and how that could also contribute to to making fee-free university education possible?
1: Yeah, I mean, in I mean, they are speaking about the minimum wage in South Africa today, and perhaps we should also speak about the maximum wage. I don't know, or maximum remuneration. Uh, everybody knows that if you have two, three, four million rand in income per year, then you don't need more income. Uh, and what is happening in such cases is, of course, that that it's impossible to consume this or to buy. Uh, Cars or houses or whatever for you have to save it or they speculate with it, etc. So one could even discuss if one is, sort you know, extremely radical. One could speak about a confiscatory tax over a certain income. But usually and especially, I think, in a conservative country like South Africa, you can't you can't say that because then you are regarded as crazy. But I just put it on the table. But what you can do. You can have a marginal tax rate of 50% or 55% over a certain income. Let's say it's 1 million Rand or it's, it's 2 million Rand. So every 1,000 Rand that you are earning above 1 million Rand, for example. Uh, so if you are earning 1 million Rand, 1,000 Rand per year, then for those 1,000 Rand, you earn extra over 1 million year. You will pay half of it in taxes. You will pay 500 Rand into the fiscus. So that is what the marginal tax rate is all about, and then it's all about the political discussion, of course, among the legislators in parliament, when I mean, you can get the political majority for. But uh, if you do this, then you you have extra income of the uh, let's say five, six, seven billion rand per year if you would increase the marginal, the highest marginal tax rate now from forty one percent to forty five percent, or if you even would. Uh, so we increase it over a certain income. Let's say 5 million Rand. You will increase the marginal tax rate over 5 million Rand to 50%. And then you will have an extra 10, 12 billion Rand per year to the, to the fiscus. You can, you can elaborate with that. But that is one point of the matter. But the other very disturbing thing is that, that when you have in the, if you look at the tax statistics, which is published every year, you will see that you only have about 4,000 people in South Africa, which is registered in the tax system for having a taxable income over 5 million rand. But if you look at all these uh, global wealth reports, Credit Suisse is publishing such a report. There's different kind of wealth reports which has been done, and even SARS, the South African Revenue Service, has also made their own investigation of uh, how many how really really high income earners you really have in this country and uh, it was leaked an investigation from SARS uh, in 2012 they they only looked at, at one single financial institution uh, and they find they, they found i think it was 20000 20000 individuals who were able to save over one million rand per year. And the reporter, the internal reporter, said that uh, he or she assumed that such a person would earn perhaps 10 million rand per year, you know, and saved 10 percent of that and put it into into the bank. But uh, the numbers from the international investigation is that, well, you have about 35, 40,000, some say 60,000, 50,000 individuals in South Africa which are so-called high-net-worth individual, individuals. So they have an income of over 7 billion rand per year, or they have over 70 billion rand in, in financial wealth. And the, the, the bulk of them, the vast majority of them, they are not in the tax registers. So basically they are living like tourists in South Africa, uh, although I assume they are citizens. So it's also a big problem. And it's a tradition, I guess, and it's a culture, it's a sport. And, and I assume also that there is no political will to deal with it because perhaps those who are assigned to have such a political will are also part of this system, many of them. So you really need some kind of welfare revolution in the country, I think. And you have to change, have to change. Uh, the the culture around it, and you have to spread knowledge about it. People have to understand how a personal income tax works and uh, what is really... They have to... Social movements and and, uh, uh, university students who are fighting for free education, I think they should really uh, destroy a little of their youth by sitting and reading the budget review from the Treasury And understand now what the Treasury is doing when they are trying to comply with the credit ratings institutes. With the present policy, it's impossible with free education. It has to be completely turned around. And the credit ratings institute, they are not in favor of free education. Uh, They are in favor of a small state in South Africa. Oh, I would like to add something about this also uh Meita.
0: Yes please do. One
1: one debate which, which we have had with the AIDC with the Treasury since I think ever since Pravin Gordon spoke in parliament in twenty twelve in the budget speech and he said that the part of the budget framework is to have a, a tax revenue uh, to GDP, which is the measure to gross domestic product of about twenty five percent Which means that if you, for example, have a, let's say that you have 4 trillion rand in GDP per year, then the tax revenue should not be more than 1 billion rand of that. And that this 25%, one must understand that this is a very low size of the public sector. We cannot run the public sector's daily affairs by just taking loans. We have to finance it with tax revenue. And 25% is a very low tax revenue to GDP. It implies that you are in favour of a small public sector. But fee-free free universities, free higher education, it means a much bigger uh, public sector than South Africa has today. And the same goes for the national health insurance, which I'm sure that your listeners have been discussing or are aware of. That it's a long-standing promise of the government to have uh, a national health insurance and to wrap up public public health. In order to do that, you need to increase this size of the public sector and the tax revenue to GDP is such a measure of the size of the public sector. You need to have a tax revenue to GDP of over 30%, 32%. If you have countries like the Scandinavian countries or Holland or Belgium or France or whatever, you see a tax revenue to GDP between 35 and 45%. And United States, which is a very uh, how can you say? Tax aversive, uh, t- tax, they don't like taxes, the political majority in, 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 they have a tax revenue to GDP, which is higher than South Africa. First, if you go back in the statistics of the Treasury, you will see that this notion of this tax revenue to, revenue to GDP, it was 25% already in 1989, 1990, 1991. That is under apartheid. And as I see it, if you have a a party system where the public sector is mainly taking care of the white uh, minority and doesn't care about uh, the black majority, uh, uh, and then you have a political revolution and you change this and the public sector now should take care of everyone equally. In my understanding, you can't stay then with the public sector of the same size as a shared economy. It has to grow. But this is something that has been blocked by the fiscal policy. And, uh, well, it was in the GEAR document of 1996. This idea of 25% tax revenue to GDP uh, was spelled out. And then Pravin Gordon again, to my, was very unfortunate. Just when NHI is discussed then Pravin Gordhan speaks about that this is a part of the budget framework. No, it must be a part of the budget framework to grow the tax revenue as a share of GDP. And it will grow also spontaneously over the years because as the living standard increases uh, among those who are paying personal income tax today, they naturally will be taxed a little, little harder every year. So it fits very well with the idea that the more you have and if you have all the necessary consumption that you need and everything is kind of sorted in your personal life, well, then you can contribute a little more of additional income, you can contribute a little more to the common, so to speak. So there's always, almost mechanically, in a progressive system where you tax people more if they have higher incomes, there's a natural tendency for the tax revenue to GDP to grow over time. If you do nothing, then it will grow and it will give the basis for a larger and larger public sector. If you want to stop that, then you have to go for a policy of tax cuts. And unfortunately, this is what the South African government has been doing since about year 2000, and uh, and that is also what, among other things, unleashed the student rebellion in October in the at the universities.
0: You're making some very convincing arguments and and providing some really compelling facts and figures here. I have one last question. Listening to you and, and trying to understand all of the complex, well, perhaps not that complex, tax issues and models that you're suggesting, to me, it seems quite simple. We need a broader tax base. We need a bigger public sector and we need higher education to be part of that public sector. And all of this needs to be funded by more progressive tax policies that allow for the government to collect more in terms of resources. You, in a couple of times in what you've said, you've, you've used as a counterpoint or as an example, the Scandinavian democracies, such as your own other home, Sweden. And I'm just wondering, you know, some who are listening might be thinking, well, you know, South Africa really just can't be where Sweden is at because our population is so much bigger, our population density is so much bigger, and we have such huge inequality and that the tax base here is much smaller compared to a place like Sweden. How would you respond to a a criticism or a a worry like that?
1: Um, Well, when it comes to the tax base, uh, I think one must see that the the so-called narrow tax base, it is just a mirror reflection of inequality, of income inequality. But I I contend and I admit, or one must all one must realize that everything cannot be solved by fiscal policy or tax policy. You have to increase the general wage level for unqualified jobs or or semi-qualified jobs in the economy. You can't have any real uh, development or industrialization or 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 growth, etc. If you have such a What shall I call it? Such a structural demand deficit as you have in the South African economy because of poverty wages. If you have millions of people who are earning 2,500, 3,000, 3,500 per month and are working their heck off to earn this money so that, so so that they are in breach of the labor regulation. I mean, you have in South, it's very common or it's all over the place that the, Three persons are doing the work of four or two persons are doing the work of three in unpaid or very low paid overtime. So even there you have jobs to gain. Uh, So you can't solve such an issue only with redistribution through tax policy. You have to have stronger trade unions. You have to have some kind of series of of the revolutionary breaks or whatever, uh, which really changes things. And uh, if you look back in history in Europe, you had such instances of the uh, mobilizations of the type that was in 1994 here in South Africa, but where you have really a, a, a clash between the conservative elite and the labor movement, and the conservative elite lost under the threat of losing it all, or of threat of socialization or nationalization of the means of production, they had to agree to a very progressive tax system, and it was very much about wages, mm. and it was about unemployment insurance and all these kind of benefits which are on the factory level or at the at the ground in the mm. economy. But I mean, the, the narrow tax base is a function of of deep income inequality. So, in if you want to have more people paying personal income taxes, well, then you have to have you have to have an a massive increase of working class wages in the country and and uh, hopefully the insourcing it at, at wits uh, is one first step, even if I think that five thousand really it is not much. it is not much. I can't understand how people can survive on that uh, but uh, mm. but they survived on two thousand five hundred so i I guess also it's a historical victory and I think it's shameful really for the trade unions in South Africa that the workers and students at the universities they could achieve this this uh, concession by the management of the universities after two three months of struggle but uh, the unions of the workers couldn't achieve this uh, after 15 years of struggle so something must be basically wrong then and i hope that well you need you need really need to have working control to the unions i think that is a lesson also
0: Okay. Well, those are all very, very um, important arguments you're making, and lots of food for thought. I think we're coming to the end of our time together and our conversation. So, is there anything else that you want to add that you didn't have a have a chance to say?
2: Let
1: me think. What shall it be? <laughs> uh, what shall it be? Yeah, I must. There must be a change of mindset. Uh, there must be a change of of uh, uh, of how we look upon it. You have to, through a much harder and harsher tax system towards the rich and the middle class, which will be convinced of the advantages of free education when they see that they don't le- any longer have to pay high university fees. You ha- have to have such a change in the mindset. And you can, you can even create, it's a part also of creating uh, a nation, I think. Because some, perhaps sometimes you have to you have to force a minority to accept what what the majority wants uh, in in uh, in the interest of social t- stability and political stability, and uh, when the system well is in place, then more people would will be convinced that it wasn't so bad after all, and they would have also a sense that we are taking care of each other, and uh, we don't have any private ambulances. ...to pick you up when you are ill... ...only when you are rich. Mm. Where where you have the right to have have good health... ...you have the right to be taken care of... uh, ...on equal conditions uh, as rich people. So when you are at a hospital... ...you shouldn't be rich or poor... ...you should only be a human being. And uh, you can only sort of... ...you can only get such a sense in society... ...of caretaking for each other... ...if you have had the system... For 5, 10, 15 years in place. But before that, you have to have a revolutionary break in the mindset also of people. You have to fight for it. And I hope that academics at WITS and students at WITS and the workers of WITS, they will continue this fight and then we will change South Africa, I think so.
0: After speaking with Dick, I must say that I felt pretty convinced that publicly funded education free for all who qualify for university admission, is not only possible, but pretty simple to achieve. With some minor adjustments to personal income tax, tax increases that the middle and upper classes would hardly feel once they're saving on the university fees they normally spend on their kids, and some rigorous responses to tax evasion, and cuts to corporates and the super wealthy, it could work. Arguably, it's a matter of political will although this is perhaps the most scarce commodity of all in contemporary times. Our thanks again to Dr. Dick Forslund for his time. Check out the Daily Maverick for his articles spelling out his ideas on free education in more detail. For now, we'll close the show just like we opened it, by hearing what students think about the possibility of free education.
2: Hi, my name is Kianu. Uh, I study electrical engineering at Wits With the fees, uh, I don't have to pay any fees because my, uh, my mother works at Wits And how that works is that if, if your parents or someone works at the university, then you don't have to pay any fees for, for uh, Wits fees, but you do have to pay for the lab fees and TUT fees and some other stuff. Yes, it does make it very much affordable for me. Hi, my name's Amber. Um, I'm currently doing a BA law degree, so I've applied for finance uh, financial aid. Um, reason being because my parents are overseas. I'm currently in South Africa, and obviously, yeah, my parents can't help me out here.
1: I'm Jude. my Jude. I'm studying demography and population studies, honours, first year. Fees has never been a problem for me because my parents are uh, they 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 paying school fees is not a problem. Back in my country, Nigeria, parents
0: work so hard to earn good money to pay fees because governments uh, don't make any recession, no 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 subsidies for fees. So the parents have gotten so used to paying school fees. So coming here to South Africa also, my parents are paying my fees and there's no problem about fees for me.
2: The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of WITS University. ASAWU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at WITS. For more information, visit www.asawu.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments, and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org Today's show was presented by Mejita Ikani. Research, scheduling, editing and production was done by Balungi Lembenyane. Thanks to Dick Forslund, Chido, Kianu, Amber and Jude for their time as well as Pervez Khan for his input and David Hornsby for his moral support. Jurgen Mikel created our jingle.